0: So good to be with you again. Wow, aren't we dealing with challenging times and and aren't our emotions going everywhere and our minds going everywhere? Uh, That's why I've done this series, Faith. What does faith look like when your world falls apart? And we talked about the reality of peace. Where can you find peace? Because we all need some anchor of peace in this world. Generations before us today and people after us, we need to know where to find peace We've talked about what it means to trust. Where do you find the truth in times like these? And ultimately, that's an important lesson that undergirds our faith. But today, I want to go personal. Here's the thing. We're all listening to a lot of people. And there are a lot of people out there with a lot of answers. But there's something unique about the person that people of faith follow. Specifically, I'm talking about Jesus. And today, on this Sunday prior to Easter, I want to talk to you about Jesus. Today, on this day, I want to talk to you about the person, Jesus. What's the big deal about Jesus? When people say, well, Jesus is the answer, well, that sounds very simple, but life's really complicated, right? Uh, Life has a lot of problems. Uh, We face some today in our generation that generations before us have not. Uh, You perhaps are going through a problem that's not even being talked about. Uh, Maybe you have decisions or life directions, and when someone says to you, well, Jesus is the answer, you might not quite understand what that means, why that's important. And quite frankly, who is he and why is he relevant to us today? I want to read you a story this morning, a powerful story. As we answer that question, what's the big deal about Jesus? What makes him so special? And why is he the answer in times like this? And in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, verse 6, there's this story. It's a powerful story, and I I think it's going to grab you just like it grabs me. The Bible says this, now, when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. But the disciples, those were his followers, um, they were indignant. They were upset when they saw this, and they asked this question why the waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, Jesus, aware of this, aware of what they were thinking, aware of what was going on, aware of the situation and their thoughts and their words, this is what he said to them. Why do you bother this woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel, gospel means good news, so wherever this good news is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Then, one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, he went to the chief priest and he said, What are you willing to give me to betray him, Jesus, to you? And they weighed out 30 pieces of silver to him. And from then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. Now, this story is very relevant for us today. Um, If you are a follower of Christ by faith, if you are a Christian, both in deed, action, and genuinely in your heart, you understand that the week leading up to Easter is significant. Easter is a major moment for all Christians around the world. We celebrate something there. But this happens prior to that. This is a moment that prepares Jesus for that event of Good Friday and also the celebration that we participate on Easter Sunday in remembrance of what Christ has done. This moment is unique. And this moment is something that helps us understand the big deal about Jesus and why, quite frankly, he's still the answer today Regardless of what we go through, what our world has going on in it, he's still the answer for everything. Look, we're putting a lot of trust in different people. We're following the orders and the directions of a lot of people in our life. It's one group of people today. It'll be another group of people tomorrow. We're always placing our faith, our trust in someone else. In every decision, we do it with our employers, we do it with our employees, Uh, we do it with people who manage our finances, we do it um, with our physicians, we do it in our relationships. We trust somebody because we think that they are the answer. Well, what about Jesus? When I look at this story, I understand there are a lot of people in this story, and I want to point them out because I think you're going to see why Jesus is such a big deal for me, for you, and for all those around us. Uh, The first person that I see in this story is someone who is sick. And how relevant is that in the world we live in today? This individual is sick with something in the Bible known as leprosy. And I, I, I don't think we understand fully the power of what that means in this individual's life. Simon the leper was technically someone who was isolated. He was socially isolated. Leprosy was contagious. If you even touched the person, there was this fear that you would get leprosy. And leprosy was this kind of disease that would eat away at your body and that it ultimately would take your life. And therefore, to keep from catching it or to keep from spreading it, you had to isolate. If I used another word, You had to quarantine. Where do you find this person? You find him in his home. You find him socially distant. You find him alone, except for Jesus. Jesus was there in the presence of an individual who was sick. Understand that for leprosy of that generation, there was no cure, the only cure was to isolate. And we all know that's not any fun. That doesn't help any of us, not only physically, but also mentally. Isolation will drive us mad. Simon was his name. The Bible actually tells us his name. This sick person had a name. He wasn't a statistic. He wasn't a figure. He was a person. And he mattered. And he mattered to God, and he mattered to Jesus, Simon. What's your name? I mean, you think about in this generation, what's your name? Do you realize that your name matters? Who you are matters? You matter to God. You matter to Jesus. Doesn't matter where you come from, your background, how much you have, how little you have, how sick you are, or even how healthy you are. Jesus, he cares about us. And in this moment, he's in the presence of Simon. Simon's identity. This is very important. Simon's identity in Scripture and amongst everyone else, it's pretty important to realize he was known as a leper. And the challenge with that in all of our lives is we're going to identify in something. We're going to identify perhaps in our past. We may identify in a mistake we may identify in how others treat us and respond to us because of mistakes that we've made. We may identify in a hobby. We may identify in church. We may identify with some type of social recognized habit that everyone does, and so therefore we're going to identify with that. We like to identify with sports teams. We like to identify with people that we respect and honor. And we all identify with something. Simon's identity was a leper. And as a leper, he was alone, isolated, never to be given hope, care, or love. That's who you find in this story, and that's where you find Jesus. He was there in spite of what Simon identified with. Very important for you and I. Because beyond the identity that we think we have, or that others think about us, there is an identity that is more important when you identify in the presence of Jesus. There's a second person that we see in this passage, and that's this woman. Mary is her name, and it's important. She's an important individual in Scripture, and she's important to Jesus. She's important to God, just like you're important And you're important to Jesus and important to God. Mary comes in with this vial, of very expensive perfume. A matter of fact, the Bible helps us understand that the value, can you imagine this? The value of this jar, this alabaster jar of perfume, was worth a year's worth of wages for the average working individual. A year's worth of of wages. That's a lot of money, a lot of time, and a lot of investment. And that tells you something. She really was cherishing this vial of perfume for a very specific purpose. Uh, It was actually in that day a perfume that was used to anoint people at burial. And so she's bringing who she is, and she's sacrificing something that she's worked hard for, saved for for herself, perhaps, or maybe someone very important to her in her family. Instead of using it on herself, she brings it and she pours it out on Jesus to anoint him, and Jesus acknowledges, she's acknowledging a burial that's going to happen in my life. Jesus goes on and is really clear about that. But I want to talk about Mary for just a minute, because Mary, as Scripture weaves and shows us who she was, Mary was a sinner. Yeah, she wasn't just a sick person. No, Mary actually is the second person that we encounter. Mary was a sinner. There, there are traditions in Scripture that help us understand that this Mary very well could have been a woman who had been caught in adultery. And yet in that moment where social isolation would happen because of that, you know how that is, even in our world today. That is one of the worst sins, and people can't understand it, and they throw stones quickly. Well, Jesus in this moment, with a true grace and mercy from God, he forgave a sinner when Mary was in that moment. An interesting part of the narrative of Scripture, and therefore this broken woman. We're not just talking about... A broken jar of perfume. We're talking about a broken person. A broken person comes to Jesus and acknowledges that he is the one that cared enough about her as a sinner to save her soul, cleanse her heart, and forgive her of her sins, and give her a new life and a new direction. You see, Simon's present. He's sick. By the way, Sick physically, but probably sick spiritually in his isolation. And therefore, he needed a visit from God. Mary, she had a different kind of sickness. It was a sickness not just of an action. So many times we think sin is the action. No, sin always begins in the heart. Our rebellion against God is always first and foremost flowing from what's really inside of us. Every act against someone else or against God reveals what's really in our hearts and Jesus is the cure for that. He's the one that changed Mary's life um, from being a broken person, revealed in being a broken vessel, pouring out her valuable life before Jesus. He redeems her life, and He makes her someone else new and very important. There's a third group that's present, and and this is that group of the disciples. I, I might call them the church people or the followers of Jesus. Many of you, you would, you would classify yourself in that. But I want you to see even what those who were closest to Jesus did. They began to question. They, they began to grumble. And they began to say, why in the world would we waste this perfume? We could take this money and do something much better with it in your name, Jesus. And what happens so many times in the lives of people of faith, perhaps even in this generation, you forget what's important. I forget what's important. We forget Jesus is the answer, and we forget to show that Jesus really is very important for us as the anchor for our faith, and he's very important for us in how we respond to crises in our lives and in our world. In this moment, these disciples, these church people, these followers of Jesus, they go off point. They, they go in a different direction from Jesus Uh, The Bible tells us that they were indignant. Do you know what it means to be indignant? Uh, You may feel indignant right now in your life over everything that's going on. Uh, You get really angry, internally frustrated, and, and it begins to boil up and boil over, and it comes out. I have those moments. I know that you do too. That is a reality of who we are as people. And in this moment, they ask that question, why the waste? But I ask the question, what was the real motive? Was the motive really about the waste and the money? Or was their motive something else? Was their motive impure because they didn't recognize the value of this person that had entered this moment and had anointed the most important big deal individual of all? You see, this person in her sin uh, did not come in and give a bunch of attention to all of the people around Jesus. She went right to the only person that mattered when she needed an answer for her life. And I think that probably upset them. When we're not the center of attention, when we're not the center of the universe, uh, when we're not in control of every detail of our lives, I I think sometimes that creates a frustration for all of us, both people of faith and those who you're not there yet in your journey with God. But you're going to get there. You see, the reality is moments like that, they reveal our humanity. And also then, they reveal our need for someone else to tune our audience into someone more important than anyone else. And the disciples, their motive was revealed. And that's a great reminder that Jesus needs even his closest followers to get it right with him. Jesus needs even those who claim to have strong faith in him and fellowship with him. They need to get it right and follow his way to have their motives purified and to recognize he is still the answer and he's still at work because he's concerned about people who, by the way, have names. They matter to him. Now, obviously, there's this reference to a fourth group, the poor. And that's very interesting. This, this passage confuses a lot of people, but I, I want to point it out significantly. Jesus comments, the disciples say, hey, we could have given all this money to feed the poor, to take care of the poor. And Jesus says, you're always going to have the poor around you, but you're not always going to have me. Now, that seems heartless, right? And, and perhaps some of you out there go, yep, see, um, Jesus didn't care about the poor. No, no, no. Jesus was acknowledging, recognized the context. Mary brings this perfume, and she anoints him for his burial. And in this moment, Jesus acknowledges there is an event that is coming in his life that is going to remove him for a temporary period of time. We know that is the crucifixion, and that's something that we remember on Good Friday. But as Jesus acknowledges that, he doesn't dismiss the poor. He says, the poor you will always have with you. So let's look at that because the reality is immediately in our minds when we think of the poor, we think of those who do not have. And boy, that would be simple to isolate a group, uh, someone who has a problem that perhaps you or I don't have. To isolate someone who is less, has less, whoa, look out, now we become sort of like the disciples. And Jesus, that's why he jumps in and he clarifies very quickly. You see, being poor is not something just like sickness and just like sin. Being poor is not just something that is physical. Being poor is something that is also spiritual. It's an internal thing. And the reality is, before a God who owns it all, who has it all, who is the answer to it all, every single one of us, myself, you, the people you love, the people you follow, the people that you trust in, when it comes to God, we're all desperately poor. We're all desperately broke. We have nothing of value that we can give or add to the wonderful nature of who God is in His love for us. We can't buy salvation. We can't buy forgiveness. We definitely can't earn it because we know that somewhere in our lives we are sick And we are sinners too. And that immediately excludes us from the grace and the mercy of God on our own merit. The poor is more than just something physical. Being poor is more than just not having money or nice things. Being poor is something that we all have when it comes to God. And there is a reality that we are all poor in spirit. Jesus talked about this in one of his other messages. He talked about what it meant to be poor in spirit. And if we were poor in spirit, then we recognize that by being poor in our spirit toward God, then we begin to open up ourselves to experience the riches of a relationship with God. So Jesus identifies this other group, and it's not a slight, and it's not a negative thing. He really bridges the gap to say, look, you're always going to have the poor around you. And I'm not just talking about physical poorness. The reality is we're always going to have moments in our lives where we are spiritually poor. doesn't matter how much we have, how nice you look, or if you're lacking in some things in life. It doesn't matter before God. There is a moment where in the poorness of our souls, we can open up and acknowledge who we are and therefore receive the riches of the presence Of the leader, of the one who loves our soul and who will change our lives, we can enter the riches of the presence of Jesus and we can have our lives changed. Now, obviously, there's a fifth group. And and this is the group that I'm gonna categorize them as those who don't believe unbelievers, if you will. Now, I don't use that as a slide against any of you out there listening today. I, I just acknowledge what we see here, even in the life of Jesus. We're all going to have people at one point or another who do not believe in us. Uh, we don't always naturally believe in everything we hear or every person that tells us things. So that is kind of a common trait of humanity. It is the most natural part of our lives, unbelief. And Jesus had unbelievers around him. You know, there's a name that's very popular. I mean, some of you may be named this, but it's not always a popular name when you choose to name your children something. Uh, You don't go, oh, wow, what a great child. I'll name my child Judas Iscariot. Boy, that name will leave a mark, right? Yeah, it's funny because the first unbeliever, who, by the way, was in the circle of Jesus. Wow, doesn't that grab you? This unbeliever, Judas Iscariot, we know him as a traitor, We know him as the Benedict Arnold. We know him as someone who sold Jesus out. He gave Jesus up for an amount of money because he really didn't believe in who Jesus was, who Jesus said he was, and he didn't believe in what Jesus would ultimately do even to try to rescue his soul. There's this unbeliever, Judas, Judas is not alone, and that's, that's usually true uh, of those of us in our lives. When we connect ourselves to a certain identity, we usually want to affiliate with other people like us. If we want to push our cause or have a bias, we always want to rally to us people who support us, not people who disagree with us. And Judas had some co-conspirators. He had these Pharisees and these other religious leaders who he went to in a moment, and he said to them, because they were looking for a way to undermine Jesus, to undermine the words of Christ, to undermine the actions of Jesus, they were looking for a way to get rid of him. And Judas goes to that crowd, because they would agree with him. They wouldn't disagree. He knew they had an agenda. He had an agenda. Maybe if they worked out a bargain, they could work through the system, cheat the system, get rid of Jesus. And, and oh, by the way, Maybe Judas would get some kickbacks in this situation, right? That's a whole nature of problems right there, but where does it come from? Unbelief. You have these people who just simply did not believe in Jesus. Oh, and by the way, when you have that kind of group, they always bring a crowd into the frenzy because this very group is the same group that on the week of Easter would stir up the people from saying, Praise God here's the king of kings riding in to town Jesus is this man hosanna and then just a few days later this crowd following unbelievers going along with the noise would then say crucify him. crucify him. he's not our king and he's not god put him on a cross and get rid of him same crowd And that's what happens in unbelief, in moments of unbelief. Uh, We go along with things that are not true. We go along with people who lead us in the wrong direction. We get really selfish and try to look out for number one, right? And in doing so, through our unbelief, we lose it all. And no one wants that. And God doesn't want that for me or for you or for anyone around you that you love or any of you who are hearing and listening to us today. There's this group. And Judas ultimately gives Jesus away for 30 pieces of silver. He exchanges a life for 30 pieces of silver. Ultimately, that's not much, but that's the price they put on Jesus' head. And that's what happens in unbelief. In unbelief, there's a price that we're willing to sacrifice our trust and our faith in Almighty God. If we're not careful... That price, whatever it may be, will cost us more than we could ever know. Then when I look at those groups of people, I come back to the beginning. The question that I asked at the beginning, because we're talking about faith, and, and if we're going to put faith in someone, who do we put it in? And therefore, Jesus. Why would we even consider putting our faith in Jesus? What's the big deal about Jesus? Well, Jesus uses this word. He says, what Mary, we talked about her, has done for me, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, she's going to be spoken about, the gospel. The word gospel is not a word we use a lot in our natural language, but it means good news. So, Jesus is saying, there's some good news about me, That every time people talk about me, what this girl did for me, she's going to be remembered because there's some good news in this. And what's the good news? That Jesus would be in the presence of the sick, not just physical, but spiritual, mental, emotional. Jesus would come in and sit in the presence and rescue anyone who was sick. What's the good news? That Jesus loves the sinner. That Jesus has the only capacity. And it's not human. We don't see that in our legal system. We don't see that in how people treat one another. We don't see this in the world, but we see it in Jesus. Jesus has the power to not condemn, but to forgive in such a way through His divine love that He cleanses and changes a heart and a life direction. Jesus loves the sinner. He forgives the sinner. He changes the sinner. And he gives a new life. Sinners need Jesus. Sick people need Jesus. Guess what? Church people need Jesus. Followers of Jesus. They're following because they realize they need Jesus. And they're following because at some point in time they realize they were sick of soul. They realized that perhaps they had sin, or maybe even there came a moment where they realized they were poor in spirit and in heart, and only God could fill that hole, and so they turned to Jesus. Even His disciples, His followers, church people, even they needed a Savior. We see that there are the poor, and the poor, well, I said it, that's all of us, when you come to a moment and you realize that in your spirit and in your soul, you are poor without the rich revelation of a relationship, authentic, genuine relationship with God, you realize you're poor without it, that's when you move from being poor of spirit to being rich toward God. You move into a relationship because of Jesus because of the big deal about Jesus, because of a relationship with Jesus, you move into a whole new life here on earth and the promise of an eternity that has treasures beyond anything this world could ever give. Yep, even the poor need Jesus. And then, of course, even in our unbelief, we need a Savior. Even in the moments where we reject, where we sell out, where we go after something else to fill the void and the hole in our life, even in those moments, we need a Savior. And and the power of a Savior for the unbeliever is that the unbeliever would legitimately at some point in time say, I will no longer be unbelieving, but I choose to believe. The power of faith, especially in a fallen and broken world, the power of faith moving an unbeliever to belief changes everything about a life, everything about our direction. It does it for me, it does it for you, it does it for those around you. And yes, if you're struggling with your faith today and it's not authentic, it's not real, you're spending so much time questioning God or maybe even fighting against God like Judas and the crowd and the co-conspirators, give that up. Because unbelief will never lead you toward the wholeness and the fullness of what God wants to do in your life. He can repair and restore, and He can use your mind, your abilities, your gift for His glory if you'll trust Him. That's the big deal about Jesus. And ultimately, Jesus would die for them all. Jesus would die for you me, for all of them. Ultimately, we are somebody in this story. You can relate to somebody in this passage. And that's the big deal about Jesus. Because wherever you come from, whatever you have, maybe you're sick in body. Maybe you have somebody in your life that's sick that you care about. They need a visit from God. They need an eternal salvation that is greater than the physical sickness. They need a salvation from the sickness of the soul. Maybe it's sin. Sin has broken you, overwhelms you, or maybe quite frankly, you're one of those people that's just living it up right now, but it will never deliver to you what God can do when He sets you free from it. Maybe that's where you are. Perhaps you're very religious. You go to church. Uh, You know what to say and what to do, but your heart is far from it. Well, Then you've got a problem in your religion because that doesn't equal a relationship in the presence of a Savior. Listen, if those people were present in Jesus' life right there in front of Him in this moment, it's true of us today. And we don't want to be the kind of people that are religious by nature but are not reflecting a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Perhaps you're poor and you realize that, hey, in this world, you're not going to have the treasures that you seek. Jesus is the answer for your soul, and he is the one that makes you rich toward God. On the flip side, Jesus said, it's hard for a rich person to get into heaven. Why? Because usually when we have it all, we don't want to give up anything to Jesus. We think we've earned it, We think we've deserved it. We think we can maintain it with our health and our intuition and our mental ability and our finances, and we can make it look good. I'm going to tell you, that'll never measure up with God, and one day it's going to let you down. We're all poor before God, and when you get to the place of realizing I'm poor in spirit and I need someone to rescue my soul, that's when you begin to realize that only Jesus can do that. And for the moments of unbelief, if you are in that moment, Jesus even loves the unbeliever. He's the kind of Savior that would sit down with someone who had questions, a genuine conversation, mind you, someone that would still try to sell him out. Jesus was still willing to go all the way to the cross to prove that he would save even those who would be unbelievers if they would just turn and become people of faith, if they would just believe him. The tragedy of this story is Judas did not, and and you see that throughout Scripture. The tragedy of the story is that many of the religious leaders did not, and that's, that's a tragedy. You see that a lot of the crowd, they were fickle like crowds are. They panic in one moment. They turn on you in another. You see that many of them missed out on the goodness that Jesus was offering. But don't you miss out. Don't miss out on this moment because that's the big deal about Jesus. For every person in this story, that's going to relate to you, to me. One of those characters, we're going to find ourselves in their shoes. And Jesus was willing to save them all. And he's willing to do that for you today. And so, as we look at this question and we talk about faith, peace, yeah, uh, that comes from Jesus. Trust, we can trust in God. But then it all boils down to this person. Who are you going to trust in? Uh, Who's going to tell you the truth? Who's going to give you peace? Jesus. He's the answer because He can solve the problems that no one else can solve. He is the one that can fix our hearts and our souls in our lives, in a divine way. That's the big deal about Him. And so when I think about that, I ask myself the question, am I going to hold on to an identity that maybe is not true about who I am? Maybe I'm going to identify in something and not identify in Christ. Am I going to sell Him out for a price for something that I think is more valuable than trusting in Christ as my Lord and Savior. Am I going to do that? When I look at this, I ask myself the question, what am I willing to surrender to follow Jesus? Am I willing to bring him my broken life and pour it out before him and say, Jesus, only you could redeem this. Only you can fix this and move me forward. Am I willing to become rich in my relationship with God in spite of what the world has for me? What am I willing to do? And my invitation to you and to all of you around today, listening and those you love, let's stop. Let's slow down and let's acknowledge Jesus is a big deal. He's a really big deal. And in the midst of our generation, and our challenges, he is still the answer today. A greater answer than anything that anyone can provide to you that's out there talking on the airwaves, in the news, through your media. Jesus has something far better, and it's a cure for what plagues us most, the brokenness of our souls. When we get that right, we get the rest right, and we want to get right with Jesus. So I want to take this moment and I want us to pray, and I I want to encourage you to bow your head and close your eyes right where you are, and here's why I do that. It allows me, and I think it allows you to be able to focus on the audience that we're about to talk to, and that audience is not the people sitting around you, not the people walking by. That audience is God. That audience is Jesus, and He's willing to come into your life, into your house, into your presence, and work through it, Whatever it is that you identify with, He's willing to save. And he's willing to move you forward. And I want us to spend a moment and talk to Him. So let's bow our heads, humble our hearts, and let's talk to God. So Father, we acknowledge in this moment that somewhere in the Scripture we find ourselves. And we find ourselves in this moment humbling ourselves, wanting to enter into the presence of the King. King Jesus. God, there are some of us, and we know our soul is sick. God, there are some right now that are acknowledging before you sin, and they're not proud of it, and they don't want to talk about it, and they don't want to share with anybody, but they're sharing it with you right now. They, they are sinners in need of forgiveness. God, there are some that have gone after religion of all types, and it's never satisfied, and it's not going to, and right now they're realizing satisfaction comes in the presence of an almighty God, a personal God who is real and who saves Jesus. God, there are some who realize they're poor in their hearts, and they need an answer that comes from you. In all these things, even for my friends who listen today and are unbelieving, now we all humble ourselves and we ask you, Jesus, Jesus, Would you speak to where we are and what we're bringing you right now? Jesus, we open our hearts for your healing, for your help, and for your salvation. Jesus, we don't want our identity in these things to keep us from a salvation and a life that is full of a personal experience of knowing and living with you. So enter into our homes, the home of our heart, the home of our lives, and change us, save us, and help us to follow you. We know that you did this for these people that we've read about today, and we know that it's good news, it's gospel, that you will do it for us as well. I pray this today in the name above every name, the Savior that is a big deal, Jesus Christ. Amen. Here's the thing. All of these people got there with Jesus. They realized he was a big deal and he changed their lives. And you can too. So perhaps today you were praying and you realized, you know, the whole salvation thing with Jesus, I need to do that. You're listening and you know that's your step today. Well, listen, we want you to follow up with us. When you opened your heart in prayer, that was the step to open your heart toward Christ. And we'd like to know about that. I'd like for you to email us, like for you to contact us so that we can pray with you and perhaps help you connect into the next phase of your life of growing in your relationship with God through a personal relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. Likewise, as we finish today, I I still want to encourage and thank you for all of the followers and all of our ministry partners out there who are faithful in their giving. You are followers of Jesus and you do it by faith. And yes, even today, perhaps God has spoken to you. Don't be like the church people, but do something more substantial and significant with your faith. Your generous giving allows us to do that here through this ministry. By the way, it's not just speaking to those of you who are listening today. This is going beyond that because you're a part of a team that knows that Jesus is a big deal. And when you give substantially and generously, you're empowering us to reach way more people than we ever have before because the message of Jesus is that important. So I want to thank you for taking the time to give. And then I want to tell you for each of you, continue to share this message with those around you. Invite others to join in. Invite others to listen. Connect with the people in your network. Don't isolate. Don't isolate in a sense like Simon the leper, but expand. Invite people through your media means, through through phone calls, through other opportunities. This is a message of life, and we're going to continue to bring it to you because we love you. I love you, and God loves you. And he has something great for your life when you get to the point and you recognize Jesus, he's the big deal, and he's the one worth following